I start each day with two of the most important things in my life. First is my King James Bible. Second is my cup of coffee. Having coffee that early in the morning allows me to spend quality time in my studies. Proverbs 22 verse 9 tells us, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Let me introduce you to free lunch coffee. They are on a mission to end hunger from the lives of young children, thus following a godly principle of giving food to the poor. When you buy one bag of free lunch coffee, you are providing 10 meals to children in need. And free lunch coffee gives away 50% of the money they make to end hunger in the lives of these young children. How cool is that? They also have some amazing custom-made mugs and tumblers, each mug providing 10 meals and tumbler providing 20 meals to children in need. Beyond this fantastic cause, Free Lunch Coffee has great coffee that is specialty grade, certified organic, and fair trade. They offer a 100% money-back guarantee for 30 days. If you don't absolutely love their coffee, they will give you a full refund. And you can keep the coffee. You have nothing to lose. Free Lunch Coffee is offering a 10% discount to the loyal listeners of this podcast. So use coupon code ILOVEJESUS at checkout. So go to their website, check it out at freelunchcoffee.com. Welcome to our Wednesday episode of Higher Ground KJV Bible Study. Today we're going to continue our Christian Treasuries series and look at a couple of um, articles written in the mid seven or eighteen hundreds in a book titled Christian Treasury. These are articles written in England about Christianity. So this week, uh, this podcast will release on Wednesday. Of course, that's the 23rd of December, and then we have Christmas just two days from now. So I'm going to look at a couple of articles that I believe relates to Christmas. First article we're going to read is Christ's Gifts to Sinners. We're all going to be exchanging gifts this week, many of us, and what better gift can we receive except that gift that comes from Christ? So following article titled Christ's Gifts to Sinners. I will offer you a throne, but what authority have I to sell thrones? Here is my warrant. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. One inquiries, but how may you know that such things are obtained if we buy them? Here's the assurance from the evangelist John, who enjoyed a sight of heaven. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. He who offers these thrones makes them, and did indeed he only makes thrones. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers. He disposes of twelve of them at once. Ye have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What does the throne which we are promised govern? Some who have now obtained these thrones have told us in the inspiring language of prophecy, for what substance is meant by the promise, and hath made us unto the glory of God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. It might be injurious for us at present to know what is literally what this literally means. It is sufficient to know that our future elevation can be expressed only by saying that we shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Am I trifling, using words without knowledge? I use the words of God. I will vary my offers. I will offer you a crown. There is something more obviously possessive in a crown than in a throne. I offer you a crown, and here you will at once agree that I am safe. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life." Paul had obtained one of these crowns, which, he says, the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul was glad not to be peculiar in his crown. People of good sense do not love to be peculiar in that which they wear. Paul beautifully shows his modesty, his humility in this. There is one thing to be said about the crown which you may obtain. It is capable, while we are in this world, of being greatly enhanced in value and beauty. Bring your jewels, and the Maker will set them for you. Paul's crown will be remarkable for this, the jewels which he obtained to be set in it. There are crowns for all. For all them that love his appearing. Think of the crowns which the ransomed shall wear. And obtain each of you one of them. Again, will you have a harp? Those who love music and frequent the music hall surely would be attracted by this. The great company of heaven are representatives as having every one of them harps. Will you spend your existence in praise? We are always happy when we are praising, if our hearts are in it. 
We read of the harps of God. Will you have one? Will you praise forever? No more sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more death. Will you join the song of redemption for eternity? No man can learn that song, but they which are redeemed from among men. There is a harp for you, but I pray you remember this. It will not be hung up draped if you do not take it. Someone else will take it. You might chance to hear it as you pass by and forever pass away and think how wonderful, surpassing the instruments of earth. You would be told that harp was destined once for you. Secure it while it is called today. Again, strange to say, I can put you in possession of something more. You will hesitate to credit me when I tell you I hereby offer you everything. For only listen to these words of God. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. There is one word used in the Bible to express the idea of all things, which are promised to everyone who will accept them. That word is salvation. On this gift of salvation are inscribed such words as these. He shall not be hurt of the second death. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And I will raise him up at the last day. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. One peculiarity of it is, the author of it attends personally and bestows it. Hence, he is called by the name of salvation, the God of salvation. Salvation is ascribed to him as peculiarly his work. Salvation is of the Lord. He is personally present whenever there is need of it, under all circumstances. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Thus, we ministers of the gospel professedly spend our lives, you providing for our temporal sustenance, and we repeating the invitation. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. I say, this is professedly our employment. Sometimes, perhaps, yielding to temptation, we may feel that this is too monotonous, tame, not sufficiently intellectual. So we are led to please men and to come to you with excellency of speech and of man's wisdom, seeking to gain popular applause, yielding to the plea that men must be pleased in order to be won. 
It is interesting to notice that the apostle who disclaimed human eloquence and the art of rhetoric was without any attempt in these directions, the most finished model of human persuasion among all writers, his epistles being masterpieces of art. While you nowhere discover in them any striving after scholastic skill. He carries out in his writings that which he says was his aim in preaching at Corinth. The eye of Greece, as it was called, the resort of the skilled professors of every branch of scholarly attainment. Horace says, it does not fall to every man to go to Corinth. I am determined, Paul says, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we preach, God helping us, whether men will hear or whether they will forbear. We have nothing to do but offer you the things which I have enumerated. We might make Lycumus of our places of worship, entertain you with science, literature, political disquisitions, but we have no commission so to do. We are not instructed to lecture you on subjects of such temporal, fleeting interests as the news and politics, or questions of the exchange in the street. Yet in our humble vocation, we are not forbidden to be as eloquent as Isaiah, as consumerant masters of rhetoric as Paul, as wise as Ecclesiastes, as philosophical as the evangelist John. But all the time, we must make you feel that we are offering you eternal life, a throne in heaven, a crown in God, and everything else which God has to bestow under the title of salvation. This we shall continue to do. Through often times we are compelled to cry, Who hath believed our report, and to whom in the arms of the Lord revealed? We must often point out the consequences of neglecting this great salvation, show you the desperate wickedness of your hearts, the fatal consequences of your unbelief, and not spare to repeat the inspired representations of eternal damnation with tribulation and wrath, indignation and anguish on every soul that doeth evil. We must all the time be warning you that the time is short, that the shadows are lengthening, that ye know not what a day may bring forth. For some of you, moved by our urgency in pressing upon you these offers, say to us in your hearts, perhaps I will take your offers tomorrow. Dear friend, perhaps you may not be in a situation to buy for us tomorrow. So long as you have not accepted our offers of a Savior, you are living under condemnation. There may be but a step between you and death, of which we have illustrations every week. It is most wonderful that while God might do nothing in addressing us, but warn and threaten, he pleads, he solicits. And the great apostle to the Gentiles uses this language. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ stead, be ye reconciled to God. While doing this, the effect of which oftentimes is to lull 
and soothe. He is speaking of those who have long since forfeited all claim on divine forbearance. So that so that should the Most High wet his glittering sword and cut us off, should he, as the great husbandman say of us, cut it down, why cumbereth it to the ground? There is no reason why the intercessor should plead. Lord, let it alone this year also. For he did so last year and the year before that. And five years ago, nay, ten, and with some of you, twenty, thirty, and with one and another, even more. How can you then promise that you will tomorrow, perhaps, accept our offers when you may not hear these offers again? You may be in prison tomorrow for eternity. This call you may have occasion to reflect upon with Never ceasing regret, saying, How have I hated instruction and despised reproof? Some of you do not feel any need of these things. What can we do? What cannot create your tastes? All of that we can say further of the things offered is, Here they are, full and free. All things are ready. Oh, every one that thirsteth come, and he that hath no money come. Some of you, I repeat it, dislike our terms. Without money and without price. You say, these are a poor man's terms, a beggar's terms. You say again, those who are invited to buy are those who are without money. Never was there a poor man, not even a beggar, so utterly poor and beggared as you and I are in consequence of sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But Christ in the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. Believing in his sufferings and death for you will be the same as if you had kept the law of God as the angels have. The reason why heaven and salvation are without money and without price is Christ died for us. We once had a price to pay. Fallen angels are paying it now for themselves and will be paying it forever which will be true of us if we do not accept the offer made by the gospel. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. The consequences of neglecting to do so being thus expressed. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Therefore, it is without money, and without price to us, because Christ, the God-man, tasted death for every man. Hear the gospel in these few words. Believe, and thou shalt be saved. But if you think these terms are such as any one can easily meet, let me assure you they will seemingly cost you all which you have and are. One man went and sold all that he had and invested it in a pearl, 
of great price which he happened to meet with. And Christ compares all who buy these things which we offer you to such a man. A young man who came to buy and had great possessions was told by the Savior, Go thy way, sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. The terms, he also felt, were very hard. Only heaven forever for his gold. He went away sorrowful. What would he give to have the same offer made to him today? He might have been an apostle. He might have written one of the gospels. He might have been surveying pyramids, myriads brought home to God by his words. Where now are his possessions? Where are they? Ask, where are the snows of that winter? And where is he? He is somewhere today, and we shall be somewhere when we die. I am not sure that I shall succeed in disposing of you of these things. Must I return and say, Here, Lord, are thy thrones and crowns and harps, eternal life and salvation, another lost opportunity. Who has believed our report? And why do I not succeed? The principal reason is, the terms are without money and without price. Our second and last article today on our Christmas podcast of Higher Ground is an article titled, The Christmas Hospital Pillow Mission. The Pillow Mission instituted Christmas 1871 is carried on as follows. On Christmas Eve, prepared packets of letters are, with the chaplain's consent, consigned to the night nurses of hospitals and workhouse infirmaries, with the request that during their watch, they will deposit one of these missives, every one of which bears the inscription, a Christmas letter for you, on the pillow of each patient. Every envelope contains a suitable printed letter conveying the gospel message of the season, together with a bright Christmas card and leaflet. The little surprise in the sense of being remembered constitute for the often sad and always suffering patients a Christmas greeting which it is well worth some pains and thought to bestow. But the higher aim of conveying the message of life and healing to numbers of the weary and heaven-laden for whom Christ was born at Bethlehem will be earnestly impel his servants to follow up this plan, wherever it may be practical. From a published statement, we learned that last Christmas the scheme was widely taken up, and from 30,000 to 40,000 sick and suffering inmates of hospitals and workhouse infirmaries received Christmas greetings. Each letter, which found its place on the hospital pillow, contained the good news of life through a substituted Savior. There has not been a wanting a testimony 
in some cases to the highest results. But in an endeavor like this, peculiarly that of casting bread upon the waters, Christian workers are well satisfied to leave results with him whose word hath its seed within itself. For its taking root downward and bearing fruit upward, he is the responsibility, our prayers and effort, of the great pleasure afforded by the working of this very simple scheme in hospitals, and in yet more gladness needing workhouses and infirmaries, so many testimonies have been furnished by chaplains and other officials that are, are only surprised can be expressed that so slight an effort should by the means of such gratification. We would rather have had our Christmas letters than our Christmas dinners, said some of the inmates of an East End workhouse infirmary. To the chaplain who had kindly arranged for their distribution, they show that someone outside has been caring for us. The hospital pillow mission is the Christmas to be extended to Sweden and New Zealand. Co-helpers are much needed who will organize for the hospitals and workhouse infirmaries of counties and large towns. Printed forms will be furnished on application to the honorable secretaries. As the latter undertake to supply many thousands of Christmas letters, they will have much pleasure in perceiving parcels made up according to instructions in old Christmas and New Year's cards of a suitable character. They desire especially to thank invalid friends and others for the care and thought with which last year some of the letters were made up. Dried flowers and seaweeds and other devices telling of individual consideration. The secretaries particularly request that friends interested in the hospital pillow mission will make known the plan to others who may extend it to hospitals and infirmaries in town and country not as yet included in this working. The honorable secretaries are Miss E. Still Elliott and Mrs. Thompson, 66, Mild Way Park, London. I want to thank you for, again, listening to another episode of Higher Ground, KJV Bible Study. Be sure and hit like on whatever podcast platform you are listening. Also, check out our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Bible KJV Study. That's www.facebook.com slash Bible KJV study. Please consider emailing us your thoughts and reactions. If you have made a decision regarding your relationship with Christ, we want to hear about it. Send us a message on Facebook. Also, share our posts and podcasts with friends and families so they too can experience the love of Christ. I wish you all a Merry Christmas. Thank you and have a blessed day.